This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. We are previewing Texas and West Virginia with Chris Anderson of Earsports.com. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you, Chip? You know what? Um, Texas fans are licking their wounds. Uh, Texas is 0-1 in Big 12 play, Chris. And here comes West Virginia, a team that... um, just beat Virginia Tech, and I'll ask you, Chris, what does that win mean? It means something because it's a rivalry game. Uh, I think to put it in perspective of where Virginia Tech is talent-wise, I honestly believe that might be the second easiest game that they play all season, uh, besides Towson, an FCS opponent that they beat in Week 3. So, I don't know what else you could really take about what West Virginia is as a team, how much they're improved, or if they're actually good, bad, whatever from that game. But it meant something because that's such a longtime rival, and Neil Brown was kind of feeling the heat after that slow start. So getting a win on the road against Virginia Tech, when that series, it might be over, probably not forever, but it's not on the foreseeable future, not the next 10 years. So it means something to win that last game. Yeah. And to go on the road um, and get it done in, in lane stadium, 33 to 10. And that was after the win over Towson, which was a demolition 65 to seven. Um, Let's stay on the Virginia tech win just for a second. Then we'll go back to, to the uh, Kansas game, but um, please don't. I know, I know. And that's what Texas fans are saying about Texas Tech. Uh, but Virginia Tech, they go on the road. It's a, it's kind of a must win for, for Neil Brown, right? I mean, yeah. Um, you you tell us, was that, how how hot is the heat on Neil Brown? I think it was a uh, scale of one to 10, like a five, which I think is considerable. Uh mid-season firing discussion, you know, for a level five before that Virginia Tech game. Because as far as money goes, it's not important because he's guaranteed the rest of his salary. He's guaranteed the rest of this year. His buyout is 100% of his contract if he gets fired before, I think it's 2025. So 
fire him now, four weeks into the year, doesn't matter. So you need to focus on what's going to help keep this program together, this team together, recruiting classes together, donors happy. And you lose to Virginia Tech. You're now one and three. You've lost to two, maybe your two most longtime rivals in three weeks. The other loss being to Kansas, who, yeah, we found out might be a decent team this year. But then you have Texas and Baylor right after it with a bye week squeezed in between. It could have been a recipe for a meeting with the AD, if you will. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, Neil Brown. I like Neil Brown. I thought he was going to be okay at West Virginia. Where, where did, where has it gone wrong, Chris, for Neil Brown? I think part of it was the quarterback. You know, they kind of whiffed and they whiffed and they whiffed again. You know, they thought they had the answer in Austin Kendall, and they were pretty clearly. I don't want to say they were wrong about it. I mean, they were wrong about it because they picked him, but then. Before the season even started, they had already gone out and gotten Jared Daigie and went a couple years with uh, a year with Kendall, a couple years with Daigie back and forth. But neither was truly the answer. So I think getting Daniels now because he looks legitimate. He's making throws that Daigie never made, Kendall never made. And that changes things. And that also makes it more of an issue when you lose like you did in week two, when you're scoring 45 points and you're still losing to Kansas, when you start 14 and 0 and your defense that has been kind of your strong suit just disappears. Um, I think it's those kind of things where you turnovers, silly plays, stupid plays. Cause that was a game that West Virginia had won. Uh, I don't know how closely everybody watched that. Let's listen to this. But West Virginia got a sack in overtime on third down or an incomplete pass, but they called roughing the passer, just one of the most blatant roughing the passer helmet in the back of the quarterback's back. Free first down, touchdown a couple of plays later. And it's those kind of plays that have plagued this team for the last couple of years. And I think that's starting to stick in fans' minds of, hey, this needs to be fixed. And all the good thing that's, Neil Brown have done over the last three years, you are what your record says you are. And right now his record says he is a sub 500 coach in year four. And that just doesn't last in college football these days. What, um, when you go back to the Kansas game, uh, cause the, the pit game, everyone probably walked away saying, okay, West Virginia right there. Um, tough game, close game, pits the ACC champion, um, you know, touchdown. And it was a unfortunate pick six, uh, by JT Daniels that ends up being the, the game decider in that, in that game against Pitt. So where's the fan base coming out of the pit game and then going into the Kansas game at that point? It was more of a gut punch. And like you said, Pitt, ACC champions, more than a touchdown favorite. I think they were ranked number 17 at the time of the game. So was West Virginia expecting to be better than them? I don't know. Maybe they were close. They seem equal in talent when you watch the game. But that's their biggest rival. It's their longest rival. So going in there, playing at Pitt, being in position to win, I mean, just just an absolute gut punch of a loss – but I think people took solace in the idea of, okay, 
It's a loss, but then we're going to bounce back, beat Kansas, beat Towson, and then you're two and one going into Virginia Tech. And, and that's what made that Kansas loss even worse, even though the coaches kind of they tried to warn fans when they were doing their media stuff during the week of, hey, this Kansas team's good. This Kansas team's good. They are good, but it, it fans weren't biting on that, especially after that loss to Pitt. So they they lose the game to Pitt, and then they're in this incredible back and forth with Kansas, goes into overtime. Um, where did it go wrong in that game, Chris, for for West Virginia against Kansas? And how good is Kansas? I think I knew there were issues. It was 14 nothing at the end of the first. So you're thinking, all right, West Virginia's cruising. And then about halfway through the second, you're noticing that West Virginia's defensive line, which is their strong suit. I mean, their linebackers are athletic, but inexperienced, out of position a lot. Their secondary is disaster might be too harsh of a word, but it, it's tough. It's a lot of young guys, a lot of FCS transfers, freshmen, that kind of stuff playing. So you're focused on that defensive line. But West Virginia's defensive line was getting pushed two, three yards back on every single play, rush, pass, didn't matter. And I think that that kind of foreshadowed what was to come because West Virginia just never got in the backfield, never got pressure, and Kansas was able to do whatever they wanted. It honestly felt, and you'll remember these, the 2012 West Virginia team where that offense with Geno Smith, Tavon, and Stedman Bailey, was like they have to score every time because the defense isn't stopping anybody, and the only hope is that they accidentally stop somebody and you've just scored enough to win. So how good is Kansas? That's a tough one. Like I, you know, obviously four and oh and did they get ranked today? I mean, we're recording this, but I, are they a top 25? I'm not sure I'm ready to go that far, but it is going to look different for West Virginia fans when they look back on at the end of the year, because it's, not going to be your obviously your two and ten Kansas team. Do I think they're going to be nine and three or eight and four? I think they have the offense for it. I'm not sure they have the defense. So this might end up being like a seven and five Kansas team, which is great for the Jayhawks. And when you think about it, hey, you lost in overtime to a seven and five team. It's not great, but it's not the end of a entire coaching staff kind of loss. I mean, how good is KU's quarterback? Um, I mean, Texas fans know it pretty well. I mean, they they lived it. It was 57-56 in overtime uh, and a loss at home. But it seems like that Kansas team is starting to believe, and that's, that's, uh, that's a dangerous thing because they've got an elusive quarterback. Yeah, I think it all starts with him, and he just ate up West Virginia. He rolled out of the pocket. He could run. He could throw. He could do it all. I think in this game against Duke, he accounted for more touchdowns than he had incompletions, you know, four passing, one rushing, and only had four uh, incomplete passes. So he, he's extremely efficient, and I think the thing that surprised me, and I wrote about it in my preview when they were playing West Virginia, was, hey, this is not a guy that's going to beat you deep. He's going to dink and dunk, and you got to just 
try to keep him from stringing several of those together. But he beat West Virginia deep. He rolled out. He stayed poised in the pocket and made some good deep throws, which I think obviously adds another layer to all this and makes them that much more dangerous. Uh, talking to Chris Anderson of earsports.com. By the way, Kansas not ranked in the top 25, but Jalen Daniels uh-huh. is the truth. We'll take a quick break and come right back with Chris Anderson. Get into this Texas-West Virginia matchup. Chris, here come the Mountaineers into Austin, Texas, coming off the loss to Texas Tech. Um, where is the mindset of this West Virginia team coming off the win at Virginia Tech and coming to Austin where they've they've had some close games. Um, I think Neil Brown would maybe take back some of the some of the uh, fourth downs that he went for um, at, at Texas um, and kick some field goals. But yep. where what is the mindset of this West Virginia team? I think there's some confidence, obviously, after that Virginia Tech win. I think there's a ton of confidence in the offense. I think West Virginia fans, coaches, players believe they can score with the best of them. Uh, You know, they got the quarterback now. They feel confident with their running back and true freshman C.J. Donaldson. Offensive line, they got three and a half, you know, good offensive linemen there. So I think if you got that, you're okay trying to piece together that last one and a half Uh, wide receivers. You got a couple guys you really like. So I think they feel really good about the offense defense. It's, it's more of a question of can they piece together something that confuses the other team? Because against Virginia tech, they tried something new, maybe not new, but it was, they tried guys in different positions, moved them from weak side linebacker to the spear spot moved them from kind of a slot corner up on the line. You would literally look at the field and see something that looked like or how they lined up as a 5-1-5. You know, five guys rushing the passer, one linebacker square in the middle of the box, and five DBs. Um, So they're throwing everything against the wall, hoping something sticks on defense. And that's not a great feeling, you know, when you don't have a clear answer on an entire side of the ball. So you talk about the offense. Let's stay there. JT Daniels, the transfer quarterback. He was at USC. Texas played him when he was at USC um, in Austin. Texas won that game. Uh, Then he goes to Georgia. Now he's at West Virginia. Break down JT Daniels. And of course, um, Graham Harrell is the offensive coordinator. Graham Harrell, who... Tom Herman tried to hire as an off- offensive coordinator here. Um, but let's start with JT Daniels and then we'll we'll go to Graham Harrell. What what do you like about JT Daniels? What uh what should Texas fans know about him? He can make all the throws, which again, nobody's been able to do that at West Virginia since Will Greer back in 2018. So that's good to have back. That opens up that playbook. And he has a better understanding I think of the game than maybe the previous quarterbacks when he does interviews and he talks about what was happening what he saw he can recall everything that's going on he's got that kind of memory he can tell where everybody is where everybody ran what the defense was doing so he sees that he's just got one of those minds that can handle that and I also feel like 
because he has that, he does a much better job of audibling into a different play, which Graham Harrell has given him full, you know, full reins there to do as he wishes um, until he proves otherwise. And, and so far it's been good. Graham Harrell has been raving about it. So JT Daniels kind of brings the mental aspect and the arm aspect of it that West Virginia hasn't had. And Graham Harrell comes in. I mean, Neil Brown is an offensive-minded head coach. He brings in Graham Harrell. Was that a decision that was all Neil Brown, or was that part of the administration? You tell us. What's the company line I'm supposed to say here? I was... <laughs> no, I... It was Neil Brown's <laughs> idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wink. Um, that was the issue the last three years. Offense couldn't get anything going. And I don't believe it went as far as someone higher up sitting him down and saying offense has to get fixed or dot, dot, dot. I think he might have realized it on his, on his own, just like a lot of former offensive coordinators do when they take over the head coach job. They think they can do it all. And for most of them, 99% of them, they can't. Uh, Dana Holgerson went through the same thing. Thought he could do it all, call plays, run the offense, be a head coach. He couldn't. He eventually passed off uh, play calling duties. And now Neil Brown has done the same thing. You know, there's been offensive coordinators the past couple years, but they have not called plays. It's been Neil Brown. Now he has taken a full 100% hands off approach to this whole offense. Uh, he said he was going to do that. I wasn't sure I'd believe it till I saw it, but now we've seen it. And he leaves it all up to Graham Harrell to handle it all. So I think it was a good move. And the fact that he's willing to do that has to be a positive sign. Well, you mentioned um, the playmakers on that offense. Uh, you know, CJ uh, Donaldson, the freshman um, running back, averaging 7.3 yards per carry, six touchdowns. Tell us about CJ Donaldson. Big dude, uh, South Florida kid. He played mostly wide receiver in high school, uh, was recruited by most schools as a tight end, and former tight ends coach, um, Travis Trickett, who's now the offensive coordinator at South Florida, saw him and said, I need this guy. I want this guy. And his approach to the tight end room was, he liked to call it an SUV room sport utility vehicle. He wanted all different shapes and sizes to do different things. And that's what he called CJ Donaldson. And even though Trick left, West Virginia said, we have to have this guy. He's something special. Uh, 24-7 Sports had him as an athlete. Weren't really sure which how he's going to do. He showed up to campus, was in the tight ends room. I think new tight ends coach Sean Reagan said for two days. And then West Virginia said, we need an extra running back. Want to give it a try? And he was a natural. And he's six to, I don't know what he's listed at, but six two, two twenty, and just very difficult to bring down because he gets up to speed quickly. Um, he's still got to learn a, a little bit about lanes, running lanes and patience and things that come with playing running back for a while, but he's a natural talent, big guy, some versatility. He goes out of the backfield and catches the ball too. So he's a dangerous, dangerous weapon for West Virginia. Yeah, I mean, what a what a surprise. He's still listed in some websites as a tight end. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they've got Tony Mathis also. Um, he was averaging 4.7 yards per carry. 
but Bryce Ford Wheaton, I mean, this guy uh, is is impressive. If if anyone watched um, West Virginia against Pitt or against Kansas, Bryce Ford Wheaton is the go-to guy. Tell us about about him at receiver. So he's been that guy that fans and coaches have been kind of waiting on like, Hey, let's make that leap, make that next step up to be something elite. Because when you see him, they affectionately call him the Adonis because he just looks, you see him walk off and you're like, Oh my God, that guy's six, three, six, four, two fifteen, solid muscle. He can run, he can jump, he can do it all. He should be in the NFL. And so everybody's waiting for him to make that leap. And he's, I feel like the first couple of games he did. Now, Towson, he played 20 snaps or whatever it was because it was a blowout. Uh, Virginia Tech, they doubled over the top on him, brought a safety over because his big thing, he usually plays left side of the offense, real deep threat. And so they brought a safety over the top and doubled him, which opened the side for Caden Prather on the right-hand side who had a big game in that one. So I'm interested to see what Texas – does in this situation will they double Bryce Ford Wheaton or just dare him to try to win some one-on-ones um and what happens beyond that what do these other teams do because Bryce Ford Wheaton has had you know a big game maybe a big three game stretch but we've yet to see him put together a whole season or even half a season during his career so I think these next couple weeks are big for him when you look is and is there anything else on the offense that that Texas fans need to keep an eye on? If if West Virginia's going to put it all together, um, are there players on the offense who are going to have to come through? Keep an eye on the right tackle spot. You know, I mentioned there was three and a half linemen. They they feel good at left tackle. They feel good at center, and then they have Doug Nestor, who is either playing right tackle or right guard, depending on who's healthy and how they're feeling about the other, the other guy. Again, the, the half would be James Gamitter, who's a, a seasoned veteran playing left guard. Um, had a couple tough games recently, but has had a solid career. So maybe he's four. But that right tackle spot, they still haven't figured it out coming up on game five. You know, sometimes Doug Nestor's at right tackle. They have guys at right guard. Sometimes Nestor's at guard. They're rotating guys at tackle. The fact that they still don't have an answer tells me they don't have an answer, which is a problem because that's where other teams have been getting some pressure on the quarterback coming out that edge. That's where they've blown up a lot of run plays because I think it's a weakness. It's one weak spot that opposing teams are taking advantage of. When we've thought of West Virginia the last few years, I mean, Tony Gibson, uh, Vic Koning uh, at the defensive coordinator spot and West Virginia's defense has been really strong. What's going on with the West Virginia defense this season? Uh, Jordan Leslie still in charge. Uh, he took over after Koning. Um, do we want to say resigned? What's forcefully, that coming line? Yeah. Forcefully resigned, I guess. Um, and he's been solid. I think he kind of got hit. By the transfer portal. I mean, West Virginia did as a whole, but more than anywhere in that secondary. I mean, you look at what West Virginia's lost over the last couple of years, just multiple starters you know, to Georgia, to Mississippi State, to Miami. 
legitimate guys that well, were Nick Troy Fortune plays yes. for UTSA. Yeah. And Texas saw him in uh week three. Yep. So there's another one, and you just go on down the line and they just got devastated in the secondary and they haven't been able to replenish. And and that's been the big issue. They hit with Charles Woods last year in FCS All-American. And about halfway through the year, he took over the starting job. It was amazing. Um, but he gets hurt in week one uh, against Pitt. First half, I think he's played, I think he played 13 snaps. That's it. And he's been gone since then. And he had, um, it was when somebody tipped me off to what it was, they called it the Tua surgery. It was that surgery that uh, Tua Tagaviola had when he was at Alabama. I think he had the surgery on December 3rd. The hip played in the college football playoff on December 28th. Uh, it's like a special high ankle sprain surgery. So it's minimally invasive, but he's not back yet. And then after him, it's freshman, redshirt freshman, another FCS transfer, another FCS transfer. And those guys just haven't hit like Woods did. And so West Virginia is just rotating guys in. You know, uh, true freshman Jacoby Spells got his first extended look. Uh, last week against Virginia Tech and had a pick six. So maybe there's something there. Um, it's really hard to tell, but I think that's, you know, I talked about right tackle being kind of a weakness on offense. Like the secondary on West Virginia's defense as one of those big neon signs with the arrow pointing on it like this. Don't throw here, right there. Well, and if Quinn Ewers is back, this week which um that's the the rumbling that mm -hmm. uh he's he's gonna be back for this game um that'll be interesting because quinn ewers is a guy who showed a propensity for the deep ball uh early and often um in the the first what one and one quarter games yeah. that he played in um Anything else on the on the West Virginia defense, Chris, that stands out, good or bad? I think most people in the Big 12 know Dante Stills by now. Um, all conference <laughs> feels like he's in his sixth year there. I think it's five, though. Um, he took the extra COVID year. Um, but the thing where I think Texas could really feast on, I know I said the secondary, but something I mentioned early in this podcast was that middle line, the linebackers. Lee Koba, Lance Dixon, X3 Low. Very athletic, uh, rangy. They can get side to side, but far too often this year, they've gotten out of their lanes. They've gotten in the wrong spots, the wrong gaps, and it's resulted in big runs, big hits up the middle. And that's probably not something you want against Robinson over there at Texas. That, I feel like that's something he might enjoy. So keep an eye on that too. All right, special teams. What? Uh, how would you characterize the special teams for the Mountaineers? Slightly above mediocre, which is wildly better than years past. So that's a positive. Um, Casey Legg has been consistent. I think he's made every field goal attempt this year. He was very good last year. Uh, punter is – they got a new Australian freshman, does – the rollouts and left foot, right foot, all that stuff, but not a lot of distance, not a lot of hang time. Kick returns been okay. 
punt return, not great. Uh, two fumbles, I think, already so far this year. So one of them crucial. One of them they were lucky not to lose. I'll be interested to see if they make any changes there. That second fumble came against Virginia Tech. So it's it's the side of the ball where West Virginia is basically just hoping not to screw up at this point. So how do you see this one playing out, Chris? I honestly think it's going to be maybe not 2012 Barden burner, but I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. I think those are the type of games that West Virginia is going to be involved in all year long. I think you're going to see a lot more like Pitt and Kansas uh, where 30s, 40s uh, for both teams because, again, West Virginia's defense held Virginia Tech to 10. Virginia Tech is terrible. Like I, like, I'm not just saying that because they're West Virginia's rival. They were not a very good football team. You know, first year head coach. They're a lot of turnover, transfers, all that stuff. They're they're doing what they can right now. But that was not a very good football team. So, I think the most dangerous thing for West Virginia would be to get too hyped up over that win because just because it's oh hey that's Virginia Tech. It's on the road, Power Five rival. It still doesn't make them a good team. So be a little leery of that. So I think for every game here on out, it's going to be 35-27, 41-32, you know, stuff like that. So I expect that in Austin on Saturday. Chris Anderson, earsports.com for all of your West Virginia information. They do it the best, and that's where you want to be all week. Uh, Chris, really appreciate the time. And uh, looking forward to this one. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. For Chris Anderson, I am Chip Brown. We'll see you over at Horns247.com. Until next time, stay safe and keep the faith.